You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dunnis from BleacherReport.com. And joining me, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, uh, I'm a little bit disappointed here. Okay. You are returned from your week-long sojourn to the woods. It was like five days, but okay. Uh, and you came in here basically cleanly shorn. I expected like a big, gruff beard. And you came in here just looking normal, like you've been at home. You So you thought that after I spent five days in like a rented cabin. Yep. Uh, Henry David Thoreau style. I, I'd, I'd come out with some straight Leonardo DiCaprio in the Revenant Yeah, shit. exactly. I was hoping for a new lifestyle. I was hoping you would come in here with a muzzle-loaded rifle uh, draped in skins and just like ready to do the podcast per normal. Well, maybe in a French accent. I don't know. Like the Revenant, we did encounter a bear, but it didn't, it didn't play out the way it did in the movie. Now, when you say we, you mean my dog and I, your dog and I, because now see, when we talked about this on the podcast last week, uh, I was unaware of this new shit has come to come to light since then. This vacation that you took to the woods uh, was not a family vacation. You went to do this on your own without your family, leaving your family at home. That's what makes it a vacation, Chad. Boy, I tell you what, you uh, you live a charmed life over there. <laughs> 1950s Don Draper style. Just oh. go ahead and leave the wife with the kids, bail out of town for a week. Well, what you're failing to mention is that the reason I took this vacation at this particular time is because my in-laws were visiting for a little over two weeks. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have to get out of town for a little bit of that if we're all going to make it out. Well, that is a rough road. Uh, when is your wife's vacation? When is she going to take her solo vacation and leave you with the children? When my parents visit in a few weeks. Okay, that better happen. I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. Ben, the Dundasso t-shirts are back up on CottonBureau.com. They got a deal where uh, if you were if you missed the boat the first time, you can go request a second run of the shirts. Uh, and 60 people signed up. To get, to get those shirts. So they're back for one more week at this point. Uh, oddly enough, roughly half the people that requested them to come back for a second run have bought the shirts already. So I guess this is the notice that if you are one of the people that missed the boat the first time, uh, you better get on that, man. What is this going to do to our credibility? Uh, through the roof. As soon I, as these Dundasso shirts start showing up on UFC pay-per-views in the crowd, like those Tommy Toehold shirts. Everyone's going to be talking about it. I fear that what's going to happen is that you made a big deal about saying that once these shirts are gone, they're gone, and you will be asked out. And now we come to learn that that's not, in fact, true. Well, you would have been asked out had public outcry, a certain rumbling amongst the people, not forced the hand of the of the T-shirt mavens over at, at a Cotton Bureau to bring it back. Next thing, you're going to tell me that it's actually not that important for people to pre-order your book. I'll tell you this, though. This time, people will be asked out if they don't order the shirts. Because <laughs> See, how can I believe you now? <laughs> I doubt that they would come back for a third run unless, you know, people out on the streets are just fiending. Then, then I don't know. This is all stuff we do not control. Yeah. Apparently. You see, right now, you are feeding the public hysteria <laughs> as you are wont to do. Okay. Well, three rounds this week, as usual, in the co main event podcast. And round number one, you guys are going to clear your Sunday schedules during Memorial Day weekend so you can watch Thomas Almeida versus Cody Garbrandt because I don't even like half these UFC fights anymore. And even I am telling you, you should probably do that. And in round number two, the Count Michael Bisping will finally get his UFC title shot. We had exclusive reaction from the man himself in this week's uh, Breakfast of Champions, sort of. But now we get our chances to sound off. And in round number three, this Conor McGregor thing is still going on. The thing with Floyd Mayweather. Really? Fuck you guys. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me? Just saying stuff. And Sir Nigel Longstock is going to stop by for a game of Master Tweet Theater. But first, like we always do about this time, 
Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dennis Johansson, who writes, Venator FC3, what was that? First Mayhem Miller weighs in 24 pounds over the weight limit and gets a light heavyweight fight instead. Then Emil Weber Meek from Norway beat Husamar Paul Harris in less than a minute by TKO. Discuss that shit. Yeah, I think the what was that pretty much a question that is also a statement when it comes to Venator, is it not? Uh, yeah, I watched, I tuned in. Uh, no, I guess I watched the video of Mayhem weighing in after it happened, uh, which was priceless, by the way. First, because he strips his shorts off. He, he weighs in 24 pounds over and then takes his shorts off like that's going to help. Yeah, that'll do Like it. he has gold nuggets sewn into the seams of his pants like an old-timey prospector. Uh, and then it, he also looks at the scale like, what? Quizzically. Yeah. Like, yes. Are you serious? Yeah. So, cannot believe it. Yeah, but I'm led to understand he did not end up fighting uh, Luke Barnett. No, he got uh, a different opponent uh, and lost that fight, got submitted in the second round. Huh. And then uh, this other fellow, Emil Weber Meek, is that a is that a real person? That's a real. He uh, defeated Husmar Paul Harris. He did. Wow. Uh, and in less than a minute. Yeah. Uh, and it was basically just Husmar Paul Harris. It seemed maybe taking for granted that all right, I'll just walk in there, shoot a takedown on this guy, and then we'll get we'll get with the leg locking, uh, like we do. And the first part of his plan proved to be his undoing. He shot right in there. Uh, took some elbows to the head as he was trying to dig for the takedown. And then uh, Emil Weber Meek moved off to the side, hammered him a few good ones, and that was it. There you go. Huh. I still don't give a shit, I guess, uh, about this dog and pony show. I do want to ask, though, uh, is this kind of thing going to become more common, do you think? Because, I don't know, I'm sure you know this because you are on the internets looking at the social medias that cover the, the MMA. Uh, there is a Russian mixed martial arts fight card happening at every moment of every day from what i can tell it seems every time i log on to the computer people are like you know albert shinikovsky is about to square off with vladimir vitavakustak and it's like 12 30 in the afternoon and the main event of qfwc 26 is about to kick off from uh stario school well and i'm always amazed that the usual suspects on there on the Twitters, the people who really love them some MMA, the appetite is just bottomless. Yeah, well, they have nothing else, apparently. Nothing else to do. No family obligations, nothing like that. But so my question is, is this kind of thing going to become more common where you see these guys like Mayhem Miller and Husmar Paul Harris who've worn out they welcomes here in the United States? Are there going to be – are we looking at like the rise of, of an international focus in mixed martial arts where – uh uh, weird dudes in Italy and various places like that are going to be able to throw a couple bucks at, uh, at who's Mar Paul Harris and, and put their show on the, on the live stream of some fly by night website, uh, and, and just let this thing rock. I guess it depends. By fly by night website, I did mean MMA junkie. <laughs> I guess it, it depends, uh, if they're making money that way. I, Cause I've got to think that you're, the way you make money off of those has got to be locally. Like, it's cool for you to be able to show it to the world and all that kind of stuff. But come on, you're not making a, a ton of money jumping up there with your, your third event, streaming it on the internet. I got to think you, you got to be able to make some money just by ticket sales and local promotion and sponsorships and stuff like that. Uh, and if they're making money, then yeah, then I'm, I guess we'll see more people do it. But I still think that the old adage, uh, holds true that if you want to, make a small fortune in promoting MMA events, you start with a large fortune. And I don't know if we've seen yet too many people disprove that. Next question this week comes to us from Sean Ames, who writes, So Chael Sonnen is a promoter now. After committing insurance fraud, lying to athletic commissioners, and failing multiple dr drug tests, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, so I guess Sean is probably referring to Chael Sonnen's Submission Underground, uh, which is going to make its debut over on uh, flowsports.com. You know, the last time we talked about Flow Sports, uh, I misidentified the job of my former colleague, Jeremy Bottero. Oh, no. Turns out he's not just the Flow combat editor. He's the managing editor of all the Flow shit. All of the sports they have over there. Flow going racquetball? On, going on 17 sports. Flow squash? Yes. 
Flow croquet. They got all that shit. Okay. Just go over there and get deep into some squash. Uh, I guess my response to Chael Sonnen putting his name on a grappling tournament and becoming a promoter is, I'm not surprised, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I... I, I see where Sean Ames is coming from. By the way, uh, Chelsea would probably lose his shit if he heard you referring to him, uh, as having committed insurance fraud. Uh, yeah, he's very specific about, uh, people labeling the crime that he pleaded guilty to in federal court, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and it was, uh, money laundering, right. not mortgage fraud. Not mortgage people, fraud. Because uh, money laundering sounds a lot better. The way he described it to me was that everybody knows what fraud means. It means you lied and you did something wrong. But what does money laundering mean? No one can even explain it. Uh, and then as I attempted to explain it, he went on in a different direction with another rant. That sounds like him. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I guess I see the are you fucking kidding me angle to it that Sean Ames is going for here. I also myself uh, went with that angle back when Chael Sonnen was uh, – being picked up by ESPN, where they decided they wanted that to be their their voice of the MMA world, the guy who is you'd have to say one of the most notorious drug cheats uh, in modern MMA history. So, some reason he's kind of the the Teflon Don of MMA. This stuff does not seem to stick to him in a lot of ways. A little bit Donald Trumpish, would you say that he's so <laughs> outlandish with some of this stuff? Uh, and just like he was when, you know, he kind of reached his height and with the Anderson Silva feud kind of stuff where like when you're just lying that big, that aggressively, that's not even fun for people to feel like they caught you in a lie because everybody knows that you're lying. Uh, it seems like he still is able to pull off that persona to some extent. Right. Uh, well, I mean, you're talking about two different jobs here. I would totally agree with you that, uh, it seems weird for Chael Sonnen to be employed as, as a journalist by a, a reputable and, and big time outlet like ESPN. Because to do that, you have to have credibility. And, and like you said, like, uh, you know, even during Chael Sonnen's heyday in MMA, he kind of like his persona was based on a lack of credibility, really. Like that's just kind of how he made his money back in those days. That's a different deal than being a fight promoter, though, where the name of the game is kind of who can tell the biggest lie. Like who can be the biggest bullshit artist? You know, I don't, there's no, uh, as far as I know, no like moral aptitude test and or uh, even drug testing that you would have to pass to become a a a, a promoter of grappling events. As far as I know, uh, and if there was, like, who knows how many fight promoters would there would be at this in this? <laughs> well, day and age. yeah, and that's the thing, especially if you're promoting like submission grappling events. The bar right now is pretty low, and it starts with, "Do you pay people what you say you will pay them?" Then, if so. You're already kind of in the like top 1%. All right. Next question this week comes to us from John Van Note, who writes, This past week, it was announced Demetrius Johnson will defend his UFC men's flyweight title against Wilson Reese at UFC 201 in July. In a world where we constantly talk about fighters, quote unquote, cleaning out their respective divisions, how long will it be until Mighty Mouse has literally defeated every flyweight on the UFC roster? I mean, seriously, after he beats Wilson Reese, they are literally giving the title shot to whichever jabroni can collect the most box tops, box tops on tough or whatever. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> I like what you did there, John. That note. So did I. You know what though? Now that he, when he phrases it this way, like how long will it be until he has beaten every single flyweight the UFC has? I think you just found yourself a gimmick for Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Kind of like remember when uh, when Goldberg showed up in WCW and they made a big deal of his streak? Mm -hmm. Like that's what they should do with Demetrius Johnson. Like the quest forget about breaking Anderson Silva's uh record for title defenses. The quest for Demetrius Johnson should be to beat every flyweight in the world. Now that's something I can get behind. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Like he would always say who's next, but like yeah. like Goldberg and we would always say we have no idea because we don't know any other flyweights. <laughs> we literally can't pick him out of a lineup. Yes. But see, then each new fight, like even if he just goes in there and crushes some dude who can't really make a, a plausible case for even being a top contender in the flyweight division. Hey man, it's all part of Demetrius Johnson's run at history to beat Every 125-pound man on the planet. There are people who have not yet even begun to train who will eventually have to fight Demetrius Johnson as part of this thing. That's just the way it is. We don't like it any more than you do. Just get ready, because here it comes. 
Maybe and maybe after every he fights every professional MMA flyweight, he could just fight every 125 pound man in the world. That's what I'm saying. Just There's, goes door to door. Yep. With a scale. What if he brings a scale with him? Like like Jericho used yeah. to do. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be people like trying to hit up the milkshakes at the fast food place to bulk up just to get away from Demetrius Johnson because he might come to your house next. <laughs> uh, did you see your boy Ariel Halwani with another cold-blooded mic drop spoiler tweet about Wilson Reese before UFC Tonight went on the air this week where Ariel Halwani was just openly speculating that he felt like they should give the next title shot to Wilson Reese moments before uh, the show began and, and they confirmed that that was indeed what was happening. How could I miss it? It was in the Breakfast of Champions. So it's one of our favorite things at this point in mixed martial arts is maybe you created a monster <laughs> when you let Ariel Hawani go. Also, if you're going to report some, some cyborg Justino news that isn't true and he's going to refute that right up in your face. What was that old quote about how you'd rather have the guy inside the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in? Last question this week comes to us from Josh, Montgrum, Josh Montgomery. He writes, Chris Weidman's neck. This was actually part of a longer email, I should say. So Josh Montgomery does not get mad at us for editing his shit. But this is the part uh, that most played into what we wanted to talk about. And this, okay. I, I'm reading this just to tee you up because you are the <laughs> right. pile of trash neck uh, correspondent for the co-main event podcast. So are you ready? Sure. Gathering your thoughts. Which correspondent are you? I am the... Uh, the anchor. <laughs> I'm the guy who sits at the desk and kicks it over to the correspondent. We're going to have don't, some things don't. to talk about after this episode. This, this question from Josh Montgomery. He writes, are you gathering your thoughts? Yes. Chris Weidman's neck injury sounds scary as fuck for someone who fights in a cage for a living. I'm not sure that one, three, one to three fights a year with training camps over the next few years are going to be very fun or very safe, even if his initial treatment is a success. I hope he saved some of that hashtag Anderson Silva money and has some long-term ideas post-fighting. Please discuss. Uh, first of all, is the unstated assumption here that the Anderson Silva money is the money that you get for beating Anderson Silva? Yeah, I feel like every you know week or so, they they would take the swear jar in Dana White's <laughs> office, right. which was, as you know, overflowing with coins, and they would dump that into a safe, and they just saved it year after year. For whoever beat Anderson Silva, yeah. they just get to go in there and swim around like Scrooge McDuck. That's right. Okay. And UFC fighters would come just ogle the Anderson Silva money yeah. when they were at the UFC home office. Um, now I was reading some of the, the stuff about Chris Weidman's neck injury when I got, once I got out of the woods, tried to stay off the internet for the most part while I was out in the woods uh, collecting my thoughts. But, uh, obviously I read it with a lot of interest because I have a pile of trash neck myself and not too dissimilar from Chris Weidman's from the sound of it, especially the area that it's in and some of the symptoms he described. Um, like especially the stuff going down your arm, uh, and into my hand and that, I really, uh, it sounded like his is much worse. Like it sounded like his is, um, like a, a total herniation of that disc, uh, which can be really bad. And that he had an, an epidural inject injection, which really helped me, but sounded like it did not help him at all. And they, you know, they want to do that first before they start thinking about surgical options. Um, but yeah, if it's bad enough to where the injection doesn't help you at all and you're, you're starting to think about surgery, apparently there are a few different ways you can go with the surgery there, but none of them are risk-free by any means. When you start messing around with your spine like that uh, and you're in a sport like this where your spine is going to have to take a beating just in training and, and not to mention in the fights, it is scary because uh, for me even, just getting the strength back in my arm, my right arm, like my dominant arm, um, was just, that in itself was kind of a long journey, um, not to mention the, the pain and all the stuff you're dealing with while you're actually in it. So, you know, I do not envy the position that – Chris Weidman is in, but I did just read on MMA Junkie today. We have a, a story about Rick Story, uh, who had his own pile of trash, pile of trash neck issues. Did you see this story? Uh, yeah, I, I did not read it since I knew that I was going to have my pile of trash neck correspondent coming in later. Okay. Well, he got, uh, basically like artificial discs put in, uh, and says that so far it's doing great. Um, you know, how long that'll hold up doing great is kind of anybody's guess. But it is one of those things like when that when the neck injury stuff happened to me and I had to weigh like, all right, do I continue trying to do recreational jujitsu, which several doctors told me would be quote unquote dumb, 
uh, to keep doing after my neck had given me so much trouble. And so it's like, okay, it's annoying for me to have to give up this important part of my life, at least for right now. Um, but I'll deal with it. If you're Chris Weidman and you're like 31 years old and you're a pro fighter and you feel like you got a, a bright future ahead of you still, that puts you in a really tough spot. And I don't know what I would do because it's, it's one thing when we talk about like brain stuff, stuff that might come down to you later on through the years. But having gone through this, this kind of stuff myself, I can tell you that the, just the pain and the, the shit you're dealing with just from a day to day basis really kind of wreck your quality of life. And if you put yourself in a situation where some of that stuff might become permanent, like if there's just this, the discs compressing on your nerves, uh, and the longer it goes like that, the, the greater the chance that it will become permanent from what several doctors told me, that will give you some shit to think about. Yeah. I mean, to tell you the truth, that's a way we don't normally think about injuries in this sport as fans from the outside looking in, which is one of the reasons I thought that it would be interesting to have you talk about it a little bit is just because, you know, when we approach guys getting injured as spectators the only thing we care about is like oh when's he back yeah when can he be back when will he return to training and so it's like you know you hear about a guy break his foot or break his hand or or develop pile of trash neck syndrome and like you hear like oh he'll be back to training in six to eight weeks or whatever and you're like oh okay cool he'll be back in whatever time and it's like i bet that dude who shattered his hands hand is gonna hurt for the rest of his life maybe uh and it's possible that chris weidman 31 year old new york man uh, will have a, a more difficult road back than maybe we think about a lot of the time. So I felt like it was it was necessary to, uh, or would be would be interesting at least to acknowledge that. On well, the yeah, show. and you know uh, another guy who had suffered from his was I think more lower back, but Rich Clemente had talked about that that he thought that was one of the mistakes we made in MMA was we got so focused on brain stuff that it just kind of became like the the cause du jour. Uh, in MMA and in football that we did not think about that in MMA, the problems that are going to be more widespread and more common and in a lot of ways more chronic for for people are going to be spine related, joint related, stuff like that. Uh, and he was talking about just the tremendous amount of pain that he's in on a daily basis, even now uh, that he's retired. And yeah, that that is some stuff that we we forget about the aspect of MMA that is not just hitting each other in the head, but wrenching your body for years and years and years in unnatural ways. That's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says Email the Podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss from Tuesday through Friday when we're not recording the podcast. There are always a lot of them. Uh, it's short. It's humorous. You can knock it out in a few minutes. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, not to pull back the curtain too much for people, but in today's lengthy and uh, detailed co-main event podcast pre-production meeting, uh, I floated the idea of doing this round about Thomas Almeida versus Cody Garbrandt, the uh, main event this week of, what is it, Fight Night 88? Yes. Uh, and you crapped all over it. I wouldn't say I crapped all over it. I, I questioned whether you really had the passion, the drive to talk that much about Cody Garbrandt and Thomas Almeida. And to my surprise, you came through with a fiery defense of doing dedicating an entire round to this fight. Yeah, I, well, I mean, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. So That's a fine I will compliment. Act in the capacity as anchor now and toss it over <laughs> to our Cody Garbrandt, Thomas Almeida correspondent, Chad Dundas, who will now explain to us why he is so very, very passionate about this fight. Well, it's simple, Ben. I feel like this is a hell of a free television main event that we have at UFC Fight Night 88, which I think is on Sunday this week, right? That's right. Because of uh, Memorial Day weekend. Woo! Well, wait a minute. Is that going to put them up against Game of Thrones? Uh, unknown. Haven't watched Game of Thrones in two years like a normal person, so, uh... Well, I don't know if you pay attention to the MMA audience that's on the Twitters, but they might be torn. 
if you if you ask them to choose between some GOT and uh, UFC Fight Night 88. It's possible. I don't know exactly what we're doing. Oh, 9 p.m. Eastern for a start time on this, and you have, oh, you got six main card fights. Maybe Game of Thrones takes Memorial Day weekend off? <laughs> Maybe Game of Thrones will be long over by the time <laughs> Thomas Almeida and Cody Garbrandt take the cage for their stellar main event fight, Ben. That's right. Here's Sell a, it to us, Chad. Here's the thing I like about this fight. Numerous things. You got Thomas Almeida and Cody Garbrandt, who are both undefeated and both 24 years old. They both possess very exciting uh, fighting styles. It seems like these two guys are going to go up there and slug it out. It also, I think, seems like both these guys would be on the short list of the very best fighters in the entire UFC under 24 years old. Years old, So I feel like that this is a, a hell of a, a, a television-free main event and and is the kind of thing that we might look back on in time and say, man, remember when those two guys fought as young pups in the UFC and now both of them are title contenders at bantamweight. So uh, I don't know, man. It seems like the kind of thing that you would normally be super into. So I don't know why you're over there crapping all over it. Here's... What I will say to that, I don't disagree with really anything you said in support of this fight. However, say, just just for shits and giggles, we were to take the UFC Fight Pass featured prelim between Aljamain Sterling and Brian Caraway. Say we were to throw that in the main event spot. Say we're to take Thomas Almeida and Cody Garbrandt. Maybe we can make that the, the Fight Pass featured prelim. Or we just use it to kick off the, the Fox Sports 1 main card which is apparently very different from the Fox Sports 1 prelims, so we just moved it somewhere else on the main card, would anybody care? Like, as far as, like... Probably Aljamain Sterling would be super into it. Yeah, he probably would be super into it. And you could make, I think, a a case that as far as reaching more people and telling them, hey, there's a fight with somebody you might have heard of with two guys where there's a little bit of a story to it, uh, and that's going to be the main event that's going to hold down this whole thing. That's going to be the the appeal we're going to you with. I think you could arguably make more of a, a splash with Ar- Aljamain Sterling and Brian Caraway because I feel like the thing with Thomas Almeida and Cody Garbrandt is because they're so young and neither one of them have uh, too many fights in the UFC just yet, especially too many fights against people that guys have heard of. Um, but I think that they still do feel like they haven't, made enough of a footprint yet to where they reach out beyond the hardcore people who know absolutely everybody and are totally into it. Like it feels like you're this whole card is one of those where you're just saying there's some UFC on tonight. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's uh, pretty valid. Um, I mean, it's possible that you see here another example of uh, this new school UFC booking philosophy. Well, and clearly it goes without saying that the fightpass.com is using Aljamain Sterling and Brian Caraway in the way that we are quickly growing accustomed to the fight pass booking uh, its dark matches, quote unquote, in that they want one really solid fight there as the quote unquote fight pass main event uh, that people want to watch, which I think is a good strategy for them. Um, and I, I think the, the reason you get Thomas Almeida and, and Cody Garbrandt in the main event is that stylistically it's expected to be a real hell of a fight. Um, in terms of like who is a draw and who is not a draw, I'm not sure Aljamain Sterling and Brian Caraway gets you any place, uh, that, that anywhere, that anyone else on this card doesn't get you. Uh, you know, Thomas Almeida only has four fights in the UFC, but the last three of them have been on, uh, main cards. Uh, right. Know. And like you said, they both have exciting styles. They both uh, have put forth a lot of exciting stuff, uh, recently. But also, you know, if you look at the rankings, like, you know, you, looking at just the UFC's own rankings, you know, Thomas Almeida, uh, is seven. I don't see, uh, Cody Garbrandt anywhere on the list. Uh, Aljamain Sterling is four. You know, Brian Caraway is eight. Like, if you, and, you know, Hen Brow, uh, is, you know, I know he's, he's fighting up a weight class here, right? Uh, fight Jeremy Stevens, but, like, if you were just to look at how they all kind of stack up according to the UFC's own rankings, it would seem a little counterintuitive to have Almeida and Garbrandt as your main event. Yeah, I hear you. I think that there's that there's something going on here, just that we're trying to get Thomas Almeida and or Cody Garbrandt, whoever wins that, maybe a little bit of love here, since these guys are, you know, among the hottest prospects, certainly in the bantamweight division, like you could argue hottest prospects in the entire UFC for the people who... uh savvy the divisions under 170 pounds yeah Uh, well and but then we come back to that same argument where so you're telling me those guys are the future those are the guys you really want to watch we're putting them in the main event spot which means 
that they're going to fight last on this six-fight main card on Sunday night, which begins at 9 p.m. Eastern. Like, are you are they doing the thing again where you're just hiding your best stuff, where only the hardest of cores will see it, and therefore, you know, you're not making any new fans for these guys? Well, now you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, because now you're saying that they put <laughs> Hen and Burrell right in the sweet spot, right? <laughs> Maybe even Aljamain Sterling and Brian Caraway, if you got to get to bed early, you had one too many few soda pops at yeah. the family barbecue. On Memorial Day. You ask me, uh, Masvidal and Lorenz Larkin are right where you want to be. That's going to be another hell of a fight. You know, this is a pretty good fight night card all the way around and has numerous fights on it that you might even say are too close to call. Because all of the odds of these things are very close. Thomas Almeida, Cody Garbrandt, Hannon Barrow, Jeremy Stevens, uh, Jorge Masvidal, Lorenz Larkin, and uh, Tarek Safadin and Rick Story. They're all basically dead heats. Uh, you know, uh, the, there are slight favorites, but, uh, you, you don't got any five to one underdogs on this card. You so know if you're they... looking to watch a card where you might get to see some entertaining and, uh, competitive scraps get put on, I think you got a good one this weekend, man. You know what I was surprised to see when the, looking at the, the odds, the most lopsided fight I saw in terms of odds, Aljamain Sterling and Brian Caraway. And I assume Aljamain Sterling is is uh, favored there. Almost a five to one favorite. Oh, you do have a to five to one underdog. Almost. Oh, you got a I think five the, to one favorite. I the, guess. the highest I, I see on him here, I think, is uh, minus four seventy. Um, but yeah, that that one kind of surprised me to see it that lopsided in terms of odds. Maybe this happened. Maybe Globo got in, got in on the action here, and they okay. said we want you to put our dude Thomas Almeida in the main event because it's kind of interesting. Yeah, make sure he fights really late, like 3 a.m. Rio time. <laughs> They're just getting started down there, 3 a.m. They celebrate Memorial they, yeah, Day, right? Memorial Day is yeah, a thing they, down they there, take right? It off. They're yeah. going to be having their barbecues. Uh, it's kind of interesting placement for Thomas Almeida because you just had UFC 198 a couple of weeks ago where you had uh, some of the Brazilian stars of yesteryear, you might even say, all of whom are uh, knee-deep or entering the twilight of their career. And then you get this main event with Thomas Almeida, uh, who may be the best young Brazilian fighter in the UFC, kind of carrying the banner. Uh, for the country. So maybe it was Globo. Maybe, they, maybe they've got this kid ticketed for stardom. I, let's try to make sure that w- at least once a podcast we pin something on Globo just with no basis in anything. I hear the rumors on the street are that they're the ones that injured your neck. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. All right. Well, I felt like we did a role reversal in this, in this round because here I am defending UFC Fight Night 88 and you're over there uh, just ripping it to shreds. What am I doing? You ripped it to shreds. That's not true. That's You're, just not true. Well, we're going to see how the rate, the ratings come back from your uh, virgin foray into the anchor chair, and we'll see. <laughs> right. We'll see how this goes. We'll let the numbers decide. Do you? I, well, we've got Sir Nigel here. I was going to say we'll do. Are you fucking kidding me? But we'll just push that to round two. I feel like Sir Nigel has some stuff he wants. We to don't say. want him sitting over there waiting. It's been a while since we talked to him. I'm sure he's excited about this last week's turn of events. Anyway, we're going to have Sir Nigel Longstock come in here, take my chair. I'm going to jump over there next to Ben. We're going to play a little Master Tweet Theater. That starts right now. What's that time again? We welcome back to the show... Noted theatricalist and friend of the podcast, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I'm in the prime, well, just past the... I'm fine, sir. Yeah, even that seems like a lie, just looking at you, I'll be honest. I was once a man. Well, debatable. Um, We're glad to have you back. I know that you are probably pretty excited about news of Michael Bisping getting a title shot. Extremely thrilled to hear that Michael Bisping will have the opportunity to once again not be middleweight champion. But, man, wouldn't it be sweet for you if he does become middleweight champion? Each day I would address podcast listeners as Michael Bisping. It would be a a utopia. Well, for you, maybe. Uh, What do you got for us this week? Is there a theme? Yes, sir, there is. The theme is holidays and leisure. Okay. You know, every time you come up with, like, an easy one like this, I feel like there's hope that you'll stick to it, and I know you won't. (laughs) Hope is a fool's fortress, my friend. (laughs) All right, well, when you're ready. Yes, let us begin. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by Oshkosh Bagad, the overalls for Christian pets. 
Don't spend each day waiting to become aroused by the sight of your dog's genitals just so you can condemn yourself to hell. Don't let your cat do whatever weird stuff it wants to do. Buy a pair of Oshkosh Bagods so your pets can stop living in sin. I'm wearing them right now, and I've entirely stopped licking myself. I don't believe you, and I also wonder how Wad Dog feels about this. Wad Dog has not been informed. (laughs) (laughs) Tweet the first. I can't think of a single movie using amazing CGI that shows somebody just falling and splatting on the concrete all the way down. Hashtag CGI splat. This, I guess, is part of the leisure, not, not the holidays. Now, you would think that because Grizzly Adams over here has spent the last week in the wilderness that I would have the upper hand here, but... I have no idea who this is. Do you? No, I'm going to guess Joe Benavidez, though I don't know if I've ever successfully guessed a Joe Benavidez. Yeah, I feel like once we got those advanced metrics, they uh, they revealed that Joe Benavidez has almost never appeared in Master Tweet Theater. But you're forgetting that Sir Nigel also saw the advanced metrics. That's true. So you're telling me that because we think that he thinks that we think that the advanced metrics are the way to go, that he has outthought us. I'm saying I have not thought about it that much. I'm going to go Danny Downs here, friend of the podcast. Hmm. Both fine guesses, both predicated on me understanding advanced metrics, and both wrong. It is Nate Rock Quarry. Hmm. Nate Quarry. I feel like he's a new addition here. Something to keep your eye on. God damn it. He very much wishes he could see a human body splatter on the concrete. Why can't Hollywood give Nate Quarry this story? Hmm. Tweet the second. Happy Mother's Day to all the single fathers. Hashtag petty. What? What? What indeed, Can sir? You run it back one more time. Happy Mother's Day to all the single fathers. Hashtag petty. I don't have any idea what's happening here. Nor I, sir. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is a single father patting himself on the back for the job he does day in and day out, raising his kids. Okay. And I don't know that this person is a single father, and this person almost never appears in Master Tweet Theater, but has in the past. So I'm going to go with Despita, Kendall Grove. Oh, okay. You know who else who I know who has kids, and I don't know what the state of his marriage may or may not be? Matt Matrione, as Derek Lewis would say. I'm going to say Matt Matrione. Huh. Hmm. Both fine guesses, both fathers, and both wrong. It is Derek Beast Lewis wishing there were some kind of day like Mother's Day that was for fathers. Now, see, see, that's embarrassing for you not to get that because you are a huge proponent of following Derek Lewis on social media. They can't all be home runs, even from (laughs) Derek Lewis. He's really, he really, I feel, excels in the meme department. That's his bread and butter. Is he rubbing it in? Like, happy Mother's Day to all the widowers. <laughs> I don't understand. We'll, we'll table this one for future discussion. Tweet the third. Today is Nation Day of Today is National Prayer Day. Oh, I'm going to go Jessica I there. I mean, that's... <laughs> wow. It was like leaps somebody, upon it. It was like somebody touched a button on you. You just went right to it. A hot grounder to chat. So... So I can understand your thinking. You heard something that sounded like initially maybe a not a native speaker of English. Yep. Then you kind of factored in Sir Nigel's own tendencies. Uh-huh. My predilections, if yeah. you will. Uh, and I've got to be honest. I knew where I was going as soon as the tweet started over halfway through the tweet <laughs> without acknowledging <laughs> the first half of the tweet. You know, I'm going to stick with not a native speaker of English. And also, it's what is National Prayer Day we're talking about? National Prayer Day. I'm going to say Vitor Belfort talking that Jesus nonsense again. I see that. It's possible I was too hasty here. I rang in on the Jeopardy (laughs) buzzer too early without hearing the end of the question. Just infectious, though. Both were fine guesses. Both like to start a tweet anew and both wrong. It is Hector Lombard. God damn it. What is Hector Lombard doing in Master Tweet Theater all of a sudden? Reminding us to pray. (laughs) Getting over. Is Hector Lombard the one who was suspended? Or is it Yoel Romero? Who's uh, serving the PED both of them? suspension? Both, both of them. <laughs> well, that makes my racism more convenient, doesn't it? <clears throat> Tweet the third. Sorry, the fourth. Catching up on Game of Thrones. This whole girl with no name storyline annoys me. 
Am I alone? We've returned to leisure for yes. those keeping track. Has there been a, oh, I guess National uh, Prayer Day and National Father slash Mother's Day. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Those were your holidays. So somebody who is annoyed by the Arya Stark storyline. Strangely. Which I consider a compelling storyline. Yeah, they're really in a hurry to get back in that damn cave with, with Bran. Whoa. Come on, man. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Uh, okay, so who is watching Game of Thrones and mistaking the good parts for the bad parts? Could it be the poet Philip Baroni? See, I'm going to go Michael the Count Bisping here because I have a feeling that Sir Nigel will want to put a Michael Bisping tweet in Master Tweet Theater this week, and we know that Bisping uh, tweets about what TV he's watching. That's actually some pretty good thinking there. Very good thinking because you are correct, sir. <laughs> it is Michael Bisping catching up on the history of his nation with Game of Thrones. Yeah, we won't find that in the advanced metrics right there. All right, go ahead and do it. <clears throat> catching up on Game of Thrones. This whole guy with no name storyline annoys me. Am I alone? <laughs> yes, you are alone. So there, alone. <clears throat> Tweet the fifth. Perfect fit men's warehouse, Danbury Mall, they 50 customer, I employ, never come here again. Wow. Wow, indeed, sir. Would you like to hear it again? Yeah, I'm going to need to hear it again. Perfect fit men's warehouse, Danbury Mall, they 50 customer, I employ, never come here again. Okay. So, the Danbury Mall, uh-huh. I'm, I'm thinking Danbury, Connecticut. Yep. One helps. Um, now, the 50 customer I employ? Yeah. I, I'm going to give you a hint here. No. <laughs> to understand, I not? I think I have it. Okay. I'm a, well, I probably don't. But I, this sounds to me like Vanderlei Silva going out to pick up a suit before he heads to his appearance at Bellator. Okay, I heard that Vandalay Silva had been involved in a rather serious car accident oh. riding his bike that had been really? hit by a car yeah, uh, and was very badly hurt. Uh, and so maybe not on his list of concerns. Also, but I'm, no suit off the rack is going to fit him. <laughs> I'm going to say one of the pit bulls from uh, Bellator because you know they'd be all up in Connecticut. That's, that's a good guess. That's a really good Patricio? guess. Patricio? Um, Either one of them. My apologies to Vanderlei Silva. <laughs> both, both fine guesses, but both wrong. It is Glover Teixeira. Uh, oh, he does live in Connecticut, doesn't he? I guess. Wielding the English language. For? Good question. Married? Is Glover Teixeira getting married? Listen, the reason Glover Teixeira needs a suit is between him, God, and the 50 employees that he employs, maybe? I don't He's understand. Got, I, I think he was trying to say 50 customer, one employee. Like uh, employee, okay. yes. I've never been in a men's warehouse that had 50 customers at the same time. No, and it doesn't matter who the other 49 are. If one of them is Glover Teixeira, <laughs> get the fuck out. <laughs> well, that's it for Master Tweet Theater. What do you got going on, Sir Nigel? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just finished shooting an exciting project about a space traveler who happens upon a cantina operated by vampire monkeys. I see. And what's it called? It's called From Dusk Till Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And what role do you play? I play a sign language teacher who is in grave danger. Well, part of that is true. That was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. Chad, it's really happening. Michael Bisping is finally getting his UFC middleweight title shot. And in the most Michael Bisping of ways, he's getting it essentially by default. Chris Weidman, the aforementioned sufferer of pile of trash neck syndrome, out of his rematch with UFC middleweight champion Luke Rockhold. Everybody else kind of busy or hurt or something. And so guess what? Michael Bisping riding a three-fight win streak. Uh, including that kind of somewhat controversial decision win over Anderson Silva. And now here he is getting another crack at Luke Rockhold, who absolutely shellacked him the first time. 
is this the most Michael Bisping-y turn of events for Michael Bisping? You know what I was thinking about with Michael Bisping uh, earlier today before we did this? What were you thinking? He's the father of Dundasso in a lot of ways because the first time I ever fully went on record in print saying that you should cheat in an MMA fight was after his win over Jorge Rivera. I wrote the thing in case I remember that, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know what? I can live with this. I, I, there, early on, I guess I had a, a, a vain hope that the wind would whisper, Chakare. Chakare. When Chris Weidman had to drop out, uh, with his pile of trash neck. Uh, but you know what? We talked about this before on the show. Michael Bisping has kind of engineered a 180 for himself, at, at least in my mind. And I think in the eyes of a lot of fans out there where he was sort of a swaggering villain during the first half of his career, but perhaps through his sheer longevity and maybe by being a slightly better fighter than we ever gave him credit for. He's kind of transformed him, himself into a guy who, if not an out and out fan favorite is a, a fighter that we've able been, been able to like, uh, give a grudging bit of respect to. Uh, I did think it was kind of funny that, like we said in the BOC this week, Dana White kind of made this sound like an apology during the tweet he sent to announce this matchup where he says, Weidman out with herniated discs, Jacare out with meniscus surgery, comma, Rockhold versus Bisping. That's all it says. No exclamation points at all, which leads <laughs> you to believe he's not excited about this because if he were, you know, there'd be three or four of them there. Yeah. Well, to me, it just seems like another instance where uh, the Twilight Zone version of wish fulfillment in MMA uh, for a guy like Michael Bisping, who he's wanted that title shot for so long uh, and he's been so close and so many different times. Uh, and we've talked before about how arguably no one's career was more affected by the scourge of performance enhancing drugs used both le- legally and illegally in MMA than Michael Bisping was. And now the stars kind of finally align for him and it's so that he can fight a dude who beat him very soundly the first time will almost certainly beat him very soundly uh, in the rematch. Uh, and Everybody kind of looks at it as like, well, okay, it wasn't anybody's first choice, but here we go, uh, which just seems like the exact kind of hard luck tale that you would expect to take Michael Bisping into a UFC title fight. Yeah, uh, it is like the perfect Bisping situation, like you said at the top of the round. And make I don't know, do you feel like uh, maybe this entered into the the thought process a little bit here of of uh, the matchmakers booking this fight, it sounded like they didn't have a lot of available choices left over to, to sub in for Chris Weidman against Lou Rockhold. But, you know, maybe it's just the, the conspiracy theorist in me or the devil's advocate, but, but part of me thinks maybe some of the thinking was we give Luke Rockhold a fairly safe fight here. We wait for Chris Weidman to get healthy. Those guys can still fight. We wait for Jacare to get healthy. Those guys could still rematch. Uh, <clears throat> but it would be a hell of a ride. Ben, if Michael Bisping walked out of that arena with the UFC gold finally wrapped around his waist. That would be a hell of a ride. How could it possibly happen? <laughs> like, I'm not <laughs> saying that, like, disparagingly, really, of Michael Bisping. Just, we already saw that fight before, and there was just no point in it where Luke Rockhold seemed that he was in danger. He just seemed so much bigger than Michael Bisping and able to strike at him from distance with impunity. And it's not like Michael Bisping is a big threat to, hey, like land one big punch out of nowhere and knock you out. Uh, also probably not going to take Luke Rockhold down and submit him. So it, it just seems like one of those fights where we're doing it again, brother, even though it feels like we already seen it, brother. Yeah, it seems like kind of a nightmare matchup for Michael Bisping because Bisping's normal game where he pressures guys and kind of makes them wilt with his pace uh, and basically just outpoints them since we know he doesn't have a ton of power. Uh, seems like a nightmare recipe to try to do against a guy who is as big and moves as well as Luke Rockhold and is a guy who is going to come in in impeccable shape like the UFC middleweight champion. It just seems like Michael Bisping's go-to game plan uh, isn't going to work in this fight. And if you get outside of that game plan and you're Michael Bisping, you're right, man. I have no idea what you even try to do to try to uh, get over on Luke Rockhold. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of uh, really good options out there. Well, and, I don't think Michael Bisping's going to be able to shoot a double right. on Luke Rockhold. So. Well, you know, and Michael Bisping does, his wrestling has really come along in years, but at the same time, yeah, you're if you do put a guy like Luke Rockhold down, then what? 
that might not be a great situation for you if you're Michael Bisping. And I, I think in ordinarily a situation like this, what we might say is, hey, the, the short notice benefits him. Like, it, cause it doesn't give the other guy as much time to prepare for him. But in this case, the other guy already fought him and beat the hell out of him. So he doesn't really need a whole lot of time to really sit down there and film study uh, Michael Bisping. Right. He's, Bisping's also not a guy where you're going to be like, well, maybe he's evolved since then. Maybe he's a completely different fighter. Like, Michael Bisping, I'm sure he's gotten better over the course of his UFC career. And I just don't know because I'm not a technical analyst. But, like, kind of still doing the same stuff he's always been doing. Well, yeah. And I think that as far as the UFC thinking on this, I think it's more that when you know your first choice, Weidman is out, and the obvious second choice, Jacques Array, can't make it, then you got to look for a name uh, to sell it. And Michael Bisping still is that and still can – you know people, they know who Michael Bisping is. They still care about seeing him fight. There is some kind of like weird nostalgic pleasure in saying, like, all right, you're finally getting that title shot. No one can say you didn't get your shot. Uh, and it just also seems sort of cruel. That this is how the shot comes about and against Luke Rockle of all people. So the thing that we – when we talk about Michael Bisping historically at this point, the thing that we always hang our hat on is one of the best fighters in UFC history never to fight for UFC gold. Let's say he gets into this fight and just gets wrecked by Luke Rockhold. How does that, if at all, like affect his legacy? Do we look at him differently? Like because that seems like the main – like – not bargaining chip, but like the main positive thing that we would always say about Luke, Luke, or about, uh, excuse me, Michael Bisping would then be invalidated. Well, yeah, but I don't know if it'll affect his legacy too much because I feel that the best thing he has going for him is that expectations are fairly low in this right. one, uh, especially because they've already fought before and it was so one-sided and that he's like, you know, your third choice to fill in here. Nobody's really expecting him to do much. If he could hang in there and take it to a decision, you know, if he could give Luke Rockhold uh, some of it back and just not get beat up the entire time, then I think people would be like, all right, pleasantly surprised. You can't say Michael Bisping wasn't one of the best middleweights, uh, even if he, he never got his hands on a UFC belt. And if you're Michael Bisping at this point, you're 37, you might as well get that shot now. If you're worried that like, hey, I don't want to go and get my shot, lose, and then never be able to work my way back there again – Man, it's kind of now or never territory. You you got to seize the moment here and, and take your your best shot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's the it's the the perfect and and most imperfect time for him. Uh, kind of both ways. I think Michael Bisping will his legacy is secure in the UFC at this point. He'll go down as a guy, a longtime vet, who could promote a fight with anybody, uh, and was kind of a tough out for almost everybody that he fought, which you know is better than better than almost anyone could expect as a professional uh, athlete and, and fighter in the UFC. Uh, do you want to do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number three. Sure. Man, I'm looking at these UFC official rankings in front of me, and Vitor Belfort is still number three in the UFC middleweight division. That's interesting. How does that? How is that possible? <laughs> you know? You know how? Globo. <laughs> All right, Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me, did you see uh, Rolling Stone talk to your boy Joe Rogan? Uh, recently. No, I missed that somehow. Yeah. Uh, he, I guess I wasn't opening up Rolling Stone to see how they reviewed the new Dylan album or whatever. <laughs> Four stars for the new Dylan album. Old man done this comes through again. Uh, you know, he's sounding again like he is really done with this Colin fights for the UFC thing and just waiting for the last straw to push him out the door. He seemed to suggest in this interview that, uh, the, if rumors of a UFC sale turn out to be true, that could be the thing that if, if they get sold, he's gone. That it sounds like even if they don't get sold, he doesn't see himself doing it for too long. But my, are you fucking kidding me moment here has to come early in the interview when they ask him, you know, what they, what he thinks of the situation between Conor McGregor and the UFC and Dana White. Uh, and, uh, Rogan kind of comes down on the side of the UFC here and says, it's part of how the UFC does business. They're essentially all business partners. And the UFC wanted Connor to do his part of the business. And he didn't want to do it. Oh. Are you fucking kidding me? In what way are they business partners? Are we still doing this thing with the fighters? Like, I thought, remember how it was funny when John Jones said that how he did not look at the UFC as his bosses? He looked at them as kind of his partners. Yeah, and we found out. And, and he was very surprised to not then be treated like a partner. Uh, and then got not treated like a partner several other times after that. And that was, that was a kind of humorous bit of naivete on his part to, to, for him to think of him and, and the UFC as business partners. 
we have got to stop propagating this thing that they are business partners because the entire situation that just went down here with Conor McGregor and the UFC showed that that is not a partnership at work there. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, ben, your guy, Roy Nelson, went on the MMA hour this past week in advance of his fight against Derek Lewis uh, at Fight Night 90 on July 7th. Uh, had this to say about your new UFC heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic. This is a quote from Roy Nelson. All I know is that Stipe gave, Stipe gave me the inspiration because if Stipe can be that UFC heavyweight champion and they actually gave him a title shot, then I'm like, ah, oh, I do have a chance, Nelson said. Uh, he also said that if he emerges victorious over uh, Derek Lewis, he thinks he should get the next UFC heavyweight title shot. To both those things, I say, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Roy wish- Nelson, two and five in his last seven fights in the octagon, one of which a unanimous decision loss to Stipe Miocic at UFC 161. I wish people could see what I'm doing with my face right now after hearing these Roy Nelson comments. The look that is on your face right now is the personification of Are You Fucking Kidding Me? (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, the folks in the MMA media might could have called in their body language experts this past week after UFC brass took a pair of meetings, one with Conor McGregor and the other with Nate Diaz. I don't know if you saw these stories, uh, but if you read them, you would know that UFC president Dana White and co-owner Lorenzo Fertitta left their meeting with Conor McGregor all smiles, looking very happy, leading to rampant speculation that the meeting must have gone very well. Dana White also reportedly stormed out of his meeting with Nate Diaz. Uh, mad as hell, we are left to assume. Uh, can we make anything of this? And or are you surprised, MFR? <laughs> uh, I am, and I'm also surprised at myself for being surprised in retrospect. Because, man, if you tell me Dana White is going to go to Stockton to meet with Nate Diaz and presumably just try to get him to go along with whatever the UFC's plans are. I guess I would probably have to put my money down on Nate Diaz, <laughs> maybe being a jerk about it oh, and and not being the most easygoing go-along guy there. And then I would also have to, in turn, put my money on Dana White getting super mad about that. So in retrospect, seems fairly predictable. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall oh, for that one? It. If we are to assume that these reports are accurate and that something in that meeting did happen that caused Dana White to storm out angrily. Well, he I said mean, himself it, that he did not have a good day in Stockton. It could have been anything. Like, <laughs> Nate Diaz could have asked for a billion dollars and a pony for all we know. <laughs> and, man, I, I hope that the details come out at some point. Uh, apparently, though, Ben, we are still also... Talking about this Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather thing, uh, Conor McGregor had a sit down interview on ESPN over the weekend. Uh, was he the Sunday conversation? Yes. Are they still doing that? It's like Sunday an abandoned warehouse. Yeah. Uh, where he didn't necessarily sound totally enthused with his holdout and didn't necessarily sound totally committed to the UFC. Where the hell are we at with all this nonsense? Well, I think this is Conor McGregor kind of showing his media savvy in some ways that he realizes, all right, I don't have anything right now on the horizon. I don't know exactly what the next step is here. I am kind of seen as being on the losing end of a pissing contest with the UFC. So what do you do? Go and see if you can get your name in the headlines opposite this famous pro boxer who we love to fantasy matchmake MMA fights for him for some reason, the more illogical the better, and use that to get some attention for both of you, get some attention that is not really dependent on the UFC, that kind of takes you out of that equation, so you're not even really being linked to the UFC when people are are talking about it, and you can have total confidence that we in the MMA world will eat that shit up like a bunch of suckers, because that's what we do. 
does it speak at all to like the mainstream culture's hunger for something awesome to happen? I'm going to say fight sports, but what I really mean is boxing. Because I kind of felt this way during that the crazy over the top lead up to uh, Mayweather versus Pacquiao, where it was just kind of like everyone media wise, and I think like I got the impression, quote unquote, in the culture was kind of losing their shit over this, where they were like, oh, a big boxing fight. Like, this is the thing we've waited our entire lives for. And now, this Conor McGregor thing, which I think for people inside the MMA bubble is just, like, the most ludicrous, laughable thing that we've heard short of Floyd Mayweather fighting Ronda Rousey, which was also a thing. Uh, Maybe on the Vegas Strip. But it's, like, kind of grabbed on to at least part of mainstream society in a way where, like... Dudes that I follow on Twitter for other sports reasons are tweeting me to be like, this would never happen, right? This Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather thing. Like, this, this for whatever reason, creates a buzz. It and, does. And I don't really understand it, not only because uh, if they were going to do a boxing fight, which is what everyone seems to assume they were going to do, uh, Conor McGregor would get his ass handed to him, and because it seems and i guess maybe this is because other people don't understand how the ufc operates but like this is the kind of thing that has never happened before and the kind of thing that we assume will never happen ever you know you're right though about the buzz uh the i went out for drinks with my coed softball team that i play on and not a whole lot of really hardcore MMA fans in that bunch, and yet the one thing that people on that team had heard about and wanted to ask me about when they heard what I did for a living was this Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather stuff. Like, how would that actually go? And I, I don't know if it's so much the just the hunger for something big to happen in fight sports, but I do think that there is that lingering fascination with um, kind of a cross-discipline Ali Inoki uh, kind of thing. I mean, that's kind of the, the genesis for the whole idea of the UFC in right. the first place. And I think people really think that they want to see that. Like they, they think that that would be kind of the pinnacle of fight sports is to take these two things, especially now that boxing seems to be, uh, experiencing a little bit of a resurgence and Floyd Mayweather has become such a, a lightning rod. They, they really think that, all right, we'll just take the two biggest personalities, um, from both of those sports, throw them into together and it will be a huge cultural event. Whereas, if you actually were to do it, especially as a boxing match, like you said, I don't know if you'd really enjoy watching it that much. Yeah, it seems weird to me because it wouldn't be like a cross-discipline thing, right? If it was a boxing match, it would be like if you took the national rugby team of New Zealand and had them play the Patriots in a football game. The Patriots would probably win, right? And this, it strikes me the same thing as Conor McGregor with uh, uh, Floyd Mayweather. And in fact, the guy who tweeted me earlier today to ask about this, who's a, an NFL agent... Uh, and lives in Denver, like his concern was like, how would they get this sanctioned? Like, how could you have a former professional boxing champion fight a guy who's never fought in boxing before? Uh, to which I told him, oh, they would get it sanctioned. <laughs> Ray would, Mercer and Tim Sylvia. Yeah, you, you, you better believe they would get it sanctioned, bro. Uh, yeah, the, the answer to how they would get it sanctioned is, yeah, we're not really that serious about that shit. We right, talk about no, sanctioning, yeah, but yeah. We, that, that stuff can all be bent. The, 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 and also the answer is, no one has even thought that far ahead because this thing is not going to happen. However, if you're the UFC and you just won't co-promote, you've never done it before, uh, is this the time? Like if you could actually get Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor together in a boxing ring, even if it's not your show, but you knew that you were going to get a significant taste, is that is that worthwhile? Is that attractive, especially to a dude that we know has his roots in boxing? Yeah, but what you're going to get out of that is, especially if you throw Conor McGregor in a boxing match against Floyd Mayweather, the UFC owners are savvy enough to know that it's not going to go well for Conor McGregor, and then that's just going to look bad for the UFC. And then you have Conor McGregor, who's one of your most bankable stars, and then the next thing you have is he's lost back-to-back fights, and Nate Diaz and then Floyd Mayweather, and everybody, if everybody does tune in, yeah, you made some short-term money, but they tuned in to watch the UFC guy get absolutely tooled up. Right, but if he does lose that boxing match, then can't you be like, well, but if it was an MMA fight, things would have been different. Okay, maybe the only way you do it is you make a deal with Floyd Mayweather. First, you'll do the boxing match. No matter how it goes, then he has to do an MMA fight. And if they're tied 1-1 after that, arm wrestling. 
or soccer goals. <laughs> penalty yeah. kicks. Tough we go to style. penalty kicks yeah. if it's 1-1. Okay. It just seems ridiculous, but it also seems like people are just going to keep talking about this. Meanwhile, Nate Diaz leaving his angry meeting with Dana White, and I assume getting into his car and like looking at his, his friends and being like, did he seem mad? Did you guys think he seemed <laughs> mad? I don't was See, there something in his soup? I don't know. I imagine the back of wherever Nate Diaz trains, the giant garage door kind of slowly slides up, and he comes clip-clopping out on a tiny pony. <laughs> and that's just what I see in my you mind's eye. You see a eye. silhouette in the smoke, and it's just Nate Diaz's lanky form atop a pony, a sad pony. That's what I imagine. I don't know what everyone else imagines on their own time. Uh, let's do Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and uh, then we'll get out of here. Ben, what's your Just Saying Stuff for this week? Well... On this note of Conor McGregor and the Sunday conversation, did you catch the part of this Sunday conversation where when asked about, you know, focusing on boxing to go out there and fight, you know, basically the world's greatest boxer, uh, and he said that he thought that basically it would be easy because right now as a mixed martial arts fighter, he's spinning a lot of different plates in the air. He's spinning a taekwondo plate. He's spinning a boxing plate. He's spinning a freestyle wrestling plate, spinning a jujitsu plate, spinning a karate plate. And if he were to put all those other plates down and just focus on spinning the boxing plate, well then, well, yeah, it would really be a load off his shoulders, he said, to go out there and just focus on boxing the world's greatest boxer, arguably, uh, by that same logic, I'm just saying, if he were to put all those other plates down and just pick up the wrestling plate, he should then be able to just go out in the Rio games and win the uh, Olympic gold medal in his weight division, right? Because if it's that easy, if it's just a matter of being able to focus on one thing and then in a very short time be the best in the world at that thing, well then hell, man, seems like you got a whole lot of uh, avenues that you could go there if you're Conor McGregor. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I've actually heard that he doesn't believe in talent. He just believes in hard work. Okay. So a year from now, look out for Conor McGregor at the World Chess Championships. Yeah. Once he focuses in primarily on chess. Look out, sport karate circuit. Conor McGregor's coming. Hell's coming with him. <laughs> well, Ben, I'm just saying this week, we talked about this a little bit earlier uh, in, a, in an earlier round, but I continually kind of feel bad every time I look at the uh, Fight Night 80 uh, fight list. And I see Aljamain Sterling and Brian Carraway down there in the Fight Pass main event, which, as we all know, they're starting to put better and better fights in there as the Fight Pass main event. But still, man, if you're Aljamain Sterling and you did that contract holdout and you kind of wanted to get a lot of money and you wanted to get big fights and then you called out Brian Carraway on Twitter, do you think you find yourself in the Fight Pass main event and you're like, well, shit? Because I kind of would. I'm just saying. Just saying. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to catch you up on all the stuff that happens at this Sunday fight night event and then look ahead to the week following that. Stuff happening that? And then taking another week off? We'll figure it out. We'll have to look at the calendar, I guess. As for right now, though, we're done. We're through. We're out. So what time should I show up at your place, your remodeled home for the Memorial Day barbecue? I'm going to have to check with my wife on that. 8 a.m.? As if I mean, we'll be up and ready. If that's your question, you feel like you're a baby.